Thank you so much. I have been looking forward to being with you this weekend, uh, all summer. And over the last couple of years, one of my great delights has been getting to know some of the key leaders on your staff. I know you know this, um, but you know sometimes you get up close inside a church and you meet the key leaders, and sometimes you say, oh, that is just even better than I imagined. And that's rare, actually. And that was my experience here. You are so blessed with people like Pastor Dan and others who surround him, and it was a great joy for me. I, I think that I benefited as much from my contact with them as they might have uh, from their connection to me. So thank you for welcoming me on this beautiful, beautiful weekend. I want to tell you a little bit about what Sundays looked like uh, when I was growing up. I grew up in Park Ridge, Illinois, not that far from here. And uh, my sisters and brother and I would dress up in our Sunday best clothes and our shiny shoes. And we would all jump in my dad's Oldsmobile and drive three blocks to our local church where we would spend uh, the next couple of hours. The first hour in Sunday school and then we would go into big church together. And when church was over, quite often, instead of going directly home, we would drive about 30 minutes to Lombard, where my Aunt Betty lived. And we went there primarily to see my grandfather. Uh, I love my aunt and uncle and my cousins, but my grandfather I just adored. And he lived in the basement of their home. I treasure memories of him reading uh, books aloud to me. And we would have lunch at my aunt's. It was truly a feast at about 2 o'clock, the huge extended family around her dining room table. But you know what? My Aunt Betty seemed to have more rules about Sundays than we did at my house. Um, my cousins weren't allowed to watch television or play sports on Sunday. They didn't shop or work in the yard. They couldn't even do their homework. They had to get it all done uh, before Sunday. And we would sit around that table and talk as an extended family. My grandpa sometimes pulled out his fiddle and started playing songs. This is sounding like a Norman Rockwell painting, I know, but that's exactly what it was like. And my Aunt Betty knew something that I was just beginning to understand. There is something special about Sundays. There's something different about Sundays. It's a day unlike any other day in the week. Now, whether or not you agree with how my aunt organized her Sundays, I hope you will see what I now see. Because my aunt knew something very, very important. The Sabbath is a sacred day, distinct, set apart, and very, very special. And so today we're going to explore together the origin of the Sabbath. We're going to take a look at what Jesus taught about this holy day, and then we're going to also see how the Sabbath has been both abused and misunderstood quite a bit uh, throughout history. And finally, I hope we're going to discover together ways that we can apply the Sabbath principle in our own lives because I think it will usher in great delight and joy, and I can't wait to get started. So here we go. We have to head back to the Ten Commandments in order to start with the Sabbath when our God instituted the holiness of this day. Now, the Bible, as you may know, includes two complete versions of the Ten Commandments. The two renderings on this particular commandment are almost identical, except there's a significant variation that we'll explore together. The keeping of the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, and it's the longest one in terms of how many words God used to describe it. It's also the only one that begins with a positive statement of what we are to do before it moves to what we are not to do. So let's look at the Exodus passage first. This one is grounded in remembering creation. 
We read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This commandment calls you and me to model the rhythm of our week according to God. After God created, he rested. Now, I don't think this is because he was tired, but because he was delighted in what he had made, and he set apart time for relationship. Note that this commandment is for everyone. The Sabbath is all-inclusive, regardless of gender or age or social standing. So, like, everyone in the family can't enjoy the Sabbath except for mom. Even the animals were called to rest. We're not supposed to simply delegate our work to others, so don't make Fido go get the newspaper. Everybody gets to rest. Now, to best understand the perspective in the Deuteronomy version of the, tenth, of the Ten Commandments, we have to remember that the children of Israel had been living as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. During that time, they never had a rest. They worked seven days a week, never permission to stop. Now God is showing how he designed them to live, and he's giving them the gift of the Sabbath. Take a look at what's added in this commandment, this version of it. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord you got, your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see how in that version the Sabbath is grounded in freedom. It's a call to holy defiance, to never be slaves again, and for us today to reflect on our freedom in Christ. To keep the Sabbath is to embrace our freedom and to celebrate it. And to refuse the Sabbath is to spurn that gift of freedom. Now it turns out that God is actually silent about specific Sabbath rules. He laid down only the basic guideline that we are not to work. And yet, he takes the Sabbath very seriously. It's a commandment, not a suggestion. Breaking the Sabbath is disobedient, just like it's wrong to steal or lie or covet or murder. The Jewish leaders, though, remember them, they began to pile on rule after rule, bringing their human interpretation to what it meant not to work. Did you know they identified 39 categories of activities that had to be avoided on the Sabbath? And then there were rigid instructions in each one of those 39 categories. So prohibited acts included sowing seeds, planting, reaping, threshing, kneading, Baking, spinning, weaving, hunting, building, and hammering. Well, then Jesus came along, and he really shook things up. First, we know that Luke reports that it was Jesus' custom to show up at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So we know he grounded his day in worship. But to his enemies, Jesus looked like a big-time Sabbath breaker. They believed that he was a flagrant violator of the holy day, especially because he dared to perform five healings on the Sabbath, at least five that we know about. The religious leaders were outraged, and they began to kind of plan these covert operations to try to catch Jesus in the act of healing on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't rebel against the Sabbath. He reframed it. The most clarifying statement our Savior made about the fourth commandment is found in Mark chapter 2. Then he said to them, 
The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus wanted you and me to know that the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. He wants us to see that religion can actually wreck the Sabbath. It's a gift, not a punishment. He, he made it for us, and it's all about freedom. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Why? Because that would set them free. He was fulfilling the day's true intent. Now, throughout the centuries, men and women have swung a huge pendulum back and forth concerning the Sabbath. We've gone from one extreme, which would be legalism, and that was like the Pharisees, all the way to the other extreme, which is minimalism, virtually ignoring the Sabbath altogether. In A.D. 321, Constantine, the first Christian emperor, declared Sunday to be a day of rest. He ordered that all the law courts should be closed and that public works should cease. He did make an exception for agricultural work. Then the English Puritans came to this country, and they brought a highly rigid approach to the Sabbath with them. In certain towns, people weren't allowed to smile on Sundays, and parents could not kiss their children. Some towns appointed individuals like spies to show up uninvited in the homes of church members to surprise them and see if any violations were taking place. So where do you think our culture is today, particularly the Christian culture, when it comes to the Sabbath? My sense is that most of us could not be accused of legalism. We are more of us, I think, minimalists. Let's take a look at the typical American's work life. By work, I'm including activities both inside and outside the home. In recent years, we've coined a phrase to describe our culture, 24-7, right? That's the way most people view their week as being on and busy, 24-7. Annual work hours in the United States keep escalating, with the majority of people in this economic climate working more than ever, many of them two jobs. Did you know that in Norway, they work an average of 14 weeks less per year based on a 40-hour work week. 14 weeks. We are busy, 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 and we like to brag about how busy we are and how little sleep we get. Many authors have pointed out that the fourth commandment is the only one that Christians actually brag about breaking. We like to, you know, we don't go around telling people that we stole or that we coveted or that we were envious, but we do like to brag that we are working nonstop, 24-7, and we're never taking a moment to rest. The Swahilis have a word for white man or Westerner, and it's the word mazungu. It literally means one who spins around. That's how we are viewed. We turn around dizzy, 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 whirling around without direction. And you know what? We pay a terrible price for our busyness. It erodes our capacity to enjoy life, to treasure moments, to worship reverently, to reflect on what matters most. Life is meant to be much different, slower and richer and deeper. We know this, but it's exceedingly difficult to grab hold and slow down. And in our culture, we know very little of an entire day set aside to rest and play and delight in God. Now, some of you may be thinking, hold on there. We know about leisure. We know what a weekend is. We take the occasional vacation. 
But here's the problem. Leisure is not the same thing as a Sabbath. And most of our weekends aren't very restful. In fact, sometimes they're more draining than the rest of the week. We multitask, we escape into the nothingness of television or video games, we run around shopping or do housework, sports activities. Sure, we may attend a Sunday morning service on the weekends, but the rest of the day is filled with errands and catching up around the house and digging out of the endless email pile, cramming on homework for students. Not truly a Sabbath. Leisure is Sabbath without the sacred. When we get too busy, here's what happens. We just trudge through life. We lose our sense of adventure. And I don't know about you, but I think that technology has eroded any sense of closure to our days and to our weeks. Because we have access all the time to computers, to information from television and radio, and most of all, to our phones. And this blurs the lines completely between our have-tos and our want-tos. So what's the difference between the Sabbath and just another day on the weekend? My favorite book on this subject, if you want to read one book about it, it's by a pastor, Mark Buchanan. He wrote a book called The Rest of God. And he says that you and I need to cultivate a Sabbath heart, a Sabbath attitude, a major shift in our thinking. We consecrate time and we choose to make it different. So very different from the rest of the time throughout the week. We acknowledge the divine wisdom behind a rhythm to our weeks. Six days of work followed by a day of rest. Now even though God designed us to live in this rhythm, the Sabbath is very easy to defy. And most of us spend most of our lives breaking the Sabbath. But we will pay for it someday in some way with our health, with our joy, in our relationships, and with our souls. It helps me to think about how God is our maker. Uh, recently, we had a car with so many miles on it. It was finally time to replace this car. Just a week ago, I got a brand new car. Haven't had a new car in a really long time. And when you get a new car, you get a manual, right? An owner's manual. You open it up, and this is a different kind of car than I've ever had before. All right, I'll tell you the truth. I broke down. I think it's a midlife crisis car. I got a Volkswagen Beetle because I drove one back in college. Truly a chick car, I think. But anyway, I'm having fun. And when you get a new car, you get an owner's manual, and it tells you everything you need to do to keep that car in good condition. And it reminds me of how God is our maker, and he knows how we will function best. And he is the one who is saying, I want you to practice the Sabbath. Now, just a couple more thoughts about the Sabbath, and then we're going to get really specific. We are called to sanctify the Sabbath. The root of the Hebrew word to sanct for sanctify means to betroth. It's the same word we use for our commitment to marriage. We think of the Sabbath as our bride. The Jewish people refer to Sabbath as the queen. It's the queen of all days, the largest of all days, the highlight of their week. At their Sabbath meal, they often read these words from God found in Isaiah 58. I love this promise. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then, here's the promise, you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. So what does this all mean? 
for you and me. God is calling us to practice the Sabbath, a 24-hour period of time distinct from other days. Now, for those whose job requires them to work on Sundays, the Sabbath can be another day of the week. But it's best to try to be consistent so you have a rhythm, six days on and then a Sabbath. The Sabbath can begin the night before or fresh in the morning. But most important is this whole idea of a rhythm, that we thrive when we have a rhythm of work and rest, a time to be still and to celebrate. So I'd like to offer some guidelines with the warning that we don't want to be legalists, right? But we also don't want to be minimalists, not taking it seriously. So let's dig in. Mark Buchanan has a golden rule for the Sabbath with just two parts. First, he says we have to cease what is necessary. Cease what is necessary. You know, many of you, like me, grew up in the Chicago area. Are there any better two words that you could hear in this area than snow day? Remember snow day? I mean, even for crusty adults, if we get enough snow, that means you can't get out of your driveway and businesses close and the only obligation you have, if you choose to get around to it, is shoveling, all of a sudden, everything looks and feels different, right? You can take your time over breakfast. You can go back to bed if you want. You can read a book just for fun. You can bundle up and head to the backyard and make snow angels or a fort. You have no obligations, no pressure, no deadlines. Well, guess what, my friends? God wants to give you and me the equivalent of a snow day every seven days. That's what the Sabbath is like. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to stop. The Sabbath day invites you and me to stop, to mimic God when he was in the midst of creating, and then he paused and he looked and he said, it is good, time to rest. The Sabbath is a reprieve from what we ought to do, even though our to-do list is never done. We should stop anything that might appear on our to-do list. We move from what we have to do to what we get to do. We stop creating and drink in the wonder of creation. And we follow the scripture that says, cease striving and know that I am God. But many of us are a lot more comfortable with work and activity than we are with stopping. And we wonder if we could ever get everything done in six days instead of seven. We worry that the world won't function quite right if we sit still. And actually, if we're really honest, and this is my deal too, we also find too much of our core identity in our work, in what we produce. We secretly see ourselves in our work as somehow indispensable. What value could we think could there possibly be in being still? And pridefully, and it is pride, we decide that we are the exception to the Sabbath. We are the exception. There's a kind of humility required to stop and rest. And at the base of it all, we have to learn how to trust. A few of us were gathering for prayer in Pastor Dan's office before the service, and I saw a little sign on his side table. I don't know if you've ever seen it there, but here's what it says. It's framed. It says, Dan, trust me. I have everything under control, period. Jesus. I think we all need a sign like that, except it shouldn't say Dan for the rest of us. But we all need a sign. It says, trust me. I have everything under control. So here's the question. Will we trust God enough to obey his command to stop? To say yes is to choose the way of littleness, 
We will have to learn to say no, which, by the way, is a complete sentence. A colleague of Martin Luther's turned to him one day and announced, today you and I shall discuss the governance of the universe. And Luther looked at him and said, no, today you and I shall go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. Good idea. Now, observing the Sabbath is an indication that I surrender. I surrender to the Lord of the Sabbath. And God reminds me that he loves me not for what I do, but for who I am. That I am simply his treasured daughter. That is fundamentally who I am. This is a source of deep freedom and joy. So if we are to cease, what would be a list of things we might want to cease? Now remember, no legalism. Don't freak out when I put this list up. Here's some things we should cease or consider ceasing. Work, including thinking about our work, which is harder. <laughs> Physical exhaustion, hurry, multitasking, competitiveness, worry, decision-making, catching up on errands, technology, all of it, uh, talking, shopping. Now, some of you are in a season of life with young children, and you look at this list and you kind of want to scream at me right now because you're saying diapers and tantrums don't take a break on the Sabbath. There are still chores to be done, and the family needs to eat, etc. I vividly recall the years when my two girls were babies and toddlers. The thought of just a one-hour nap would make me want to cry tears of joy. And some of you are in a season like that. Others of you might have children in travel sports. We had one of those, and each family makes their own decisions on this one. We decided to make the sporting event a part of our Sabbath. We really enjoyed the community of families we were with. We often ate together afterwards. We tried to avoid bringing work along to the games, just entering into the fun of the experience. But you know, in every season of life, the Sabbath will look a little different for us. Some Jewish families place a box by the front door when the Sabbath begins. The night before the Sabbath, they put into the box the various things they will not be using the next day. That might include a car key, a watch, cell phones, laptops, remote controls. And when they close the lid on the box, it reminds them that this time is set apart. Now, I see in the room some people breaking out in a sweat right now, imagining 24 hours away from your phone or emails, fearful that stillness is not your thing and you don't have any idea what you would do with that kind of time. Well, we're going to describe in just a moment how life-giving the Sabbath can be. All of these are simply ideas for you to consider. But let me talk about the disciples for just a moment. I like to imagine that they led very active lives because Jesus gave them many ministry assignments. There were crowds of people begging for their help and attention all day long. But look at the glorious invitation Jesus gave to them, and he gives this to you and me as well. This is found in Mark 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Can't you just see them? Jesus, Jesus, here's what we've been doing for you. Let us tell you all. We've been busy, busy, busy. And they wanted to report everything. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. When we look at that invitation, we need to realize it's for us as well. Now, when you think about all the things to stop, you're wondering, what are we going to do on the Sabbath? Like, like, what does that look like? The second part of the golden rule is to embrace that which gives life. In other words, do whatever you want. 
Let's dig a little deeper into what that could mean. Dan Allender poses this question. He says, what would I do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? Or another way to look at the question, what would give you the greatest sense of the abiding goodness of God? I want to give you just five key words for the Sabbath, and you can interpret them and apply them as they fit for you. The first key word is delight. The Sabbath gives us the freedom to engage in life-giving pursuits, to move away from the mundane, to use our imagination, to live more fully in the present moment. One writer describes it as passing through a day without passing it by. When our creator said, it is good, that was an expression of delight and wonder. The next word is very closely connected to delight. It's the word worship. Our focus on the Sabbath is a Godward one. It's a time when we choose to remember and give thanks. Now, a part of that can be gathering with other folks in church. We sing songs of praise. We remind one another of God's provision and grace. And then there can be personal worship time as well. Maybe you want to look back on the previous six days and thank God for all the ways in which he made himself real to you that week. The third key word is the word reflect. When you and I slow down enough to make room, we give ourselves the gift of listening deeper to our lives, listening to our lives instead of rushing through it. We clear away the clutter. Maybe we take a walk in nature celebrating God's goodness. If you're a person who journals, maybe we sit down and we, we look back at recent entries and see how God has been moving and guiding and shaping and providing. Certainly another key word for the Sabbath is rest. You've been waiting for that one. This can mean different things for some people. For some, it might be as simple as a good nap. I love how Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's because a lot of us need to be made to lie down in green pastures. God knows that we need this. Parents with young children are going to need to be a little creative when it comes to this resting part. Maybe you can give each other turns. My husband and I used to do that. Okay, you get early afternoon, I'll take late afternoon. Maybe you can lean into grandparents or a babysitter for just a couple hours so you can rest. What will be required for you to experience the gift of resting, if only for a short time? The last word, I think, is one that many of us struggle with most. It's not what we immediately think of when we hear the word Sabbath. It's the word play. The Sabbath is intended not to be utilitarian, but to be filled with joy. But some adults have forgotten how to play. We're a lot more comfortable in the realm of work. So instead of genuine play, we kind of just numb out in front of the TV or, you know, many of us just don't know what to do with ourselves when we say what would give you great joy. We may need to experiment a bit. And for some of you, you're like high adventure people and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And others of you feel guilty because maybe what is enjoyable for you is working in the garden or reading a book. That's great. Whatever fits you. And in the summer, it's great to move our play outside, to take a bike ride or a great long walk in the woods by some water. For some of us, this play includes time with family and friends. Some of you think, no, that would not be play. You know, I'd rather be alone. You know, whatever works for you. Here's a suggestion for married couples that might actually transform your idea of the Sabbath. Jewish rabbis encourage those who are married to make love on the Sabbath. When my husband heard that, he wanted to convert immediately. <laughs> So the question is, what would you do for a 24-hour period if the only criteria was to pursue your deepest joy? Delight, worship, reflect, 
play, and rest. These are the ingredients that help us embrace that which gives life on the Sabbath. I urge you to experiment. Try out some new things on your Sabbath day and see what works best for you. Let go of that which doesn't fill you with joy and peace. Sabbath keeping is more of an art than a science. You're going to do it differently than the person sitting next to you. We will change our Sabbath practice in different seasons of our lives. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I have not obeyed this commandment like at all. You're just getting started. Take some baby steps. Take some first steps. Start small. Make some changes with at least part of one day at first. Your goal can be to receive the gift of a full Sabbath over time as you make the necessary adjustments. The key, I believe, is intentionality. We won't casually slide into practice of the Sabbath. It starts with a decision to obey and to receive the gift. Now, as always happens with those who teach, I have learned more than anyone probably in this room just by digging into these scriptures and these books. It's been so important for me. In recent years, I would say I've practiced partial Sabbaths. Often I would rest a bit, play a bit, and then allow the rest of the day to get blurred and taken over by errands and emails and have-tos. And on Sundays, if I'm a part of ministry somewhere, then I need to figure out a different day of the week for my Sabbath. You've already figured out that this requires preparation, and this has been really key for me. My Saturdays look a lot different when I want to honor the Sabbath. I try to do my grocery shopping ahead and loads of laundry. I catch up on emails. And then I attempt, not with complete success always, but to turn off my computer and not open it again till Monday morning or maybe Sunday night, but not during the day on Sunday. On Sunday mornings, when I first wake up now with my newer, newer practice of the Sabbath, my first thought is, wow, a whole day to be filled with delight like a snow day. Wow. Now, granted, I don't have young ones at home anymore, but I love this idea that God wants me to do what will fill me with delight. And so these days, that usually includes a slower breakfast, uh, reading the paper, some time for personal reflection and Bible reading. Then my husband and I head to church, followed by lunch together, and maybe a nice long walk with our dog, Beanie. And in the afternoons, a nap to the sports announcers with British accents announcing golf tournaments. It's a great way to take a nap. It's really, truly a gift not to be in such a hurry. And when I lay my head on the pillow on Sunday nights, I realize what I've been missing. It's what my Aunt Betty knew, who, by the way, is still alive at 92. There's something different and special and holy about Sundays. God has an outrageous gift to give us every seven days. His commandments are rooted in love, in love for us. And he simply says, will you receive my gift? Will you trust me enough to carve out one day a week that is sacred and separate and set apart? I want to close with this promise once again from Isaiah. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and by the way, I interpret that as doing your work, not doing what would give you joy. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, you are Lord of the Sabbath.
And first we want to pause and confess that we haven't always obeyed your commandment in this regard. Many of us have worked far too much and never really stop. And also, we haven't received it as a gift. Thank you that your intent is to fill us with freedom and rest and joy and peace one day a week. I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room who have very complex schedules and lives to figure out will hear whispers from you about initial adjustments they could make so that all of us could move closer and closer toward this full gift, this full day of freedom. Thank you for designing us, God, for the Sabbath, and may we obey you more fully in this regard. We love you, and we thank you that we are your treasured sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.